0: The information and opinions presented in this Arc Energy Ideas podcast are provided for informational purposes only and are subject to the disclaimer link in the show notes.
1: This is the Arc Energy Ideas podcast with Peter Tertzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the Arc Energy Ideas Podcast. I'm Jackie Forrest.
0: And I'm Peter Trzatzky and Welcome back. Well, this is the last podcast of the year. I don't honestly know where it went. It was pretty darn turbulent, I can tell you that, with the pandemic and all sorts of other things that we're going to talk about. I think it's one of the most turbulent in my lifetime. I think I have to go back probably to the financial crisis that uh, was about a dozen years ago. It was pretty darn turbulent, that whole era. And then before that, I'd have to go back to the 70s, I think.
1: Right. Well, and did you have a pandemic, right? Like mm-hmm. not only did it affect your business life, but it affected everyone's personal lives so so oh, drastically, yeah, yeah. right? Very,
0: very personal. It's yeah. been a tough year. And uh, you know, it's gonna continue to be tough in some senses, but we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about what a lot of other people do at this time of year which is sort of look back over 2020 and get some reflections and maybe a little bit of looking into 2021, although I think we'll leave that part of it till January.
1: Yeah, there's just too much to talk about no, looking back. too much to talk so, about. Uh, so. Yeah, so the format of this is we're going to look back at the different news stories that were quite Impactful or important throughout the year, going visiting each month. But before we do that, let's look at some of the indicators. People like to do that, looking at where they started at the beginning of the year to where they are here in December. And the first thing to look at is the overall markets. Mm. Amazing, considering the type of year we've had and how many businesses have had their cash flows just drastically dropped. Now, some businesses have done better, but we have these overall indexes like the Dow Jones and the TSX, which are not that far off where they were at the beginning of the year. Now, they all went through a big valley, but many of them have recovered. And we have things like IT-heavy indexes like the NASDAQ that are actually up quite a bit for the year, and Tesla, which is up a phenomenal amount, up around almost 600% from the beginning of the yeah, year.
0: Yeah, I mean, considering it's a pandemic and the impact it's had on the global economies, it's quite remarkable that both the say, the Dow Jones, the S&P, TSX, these are the broad industrial indices, have um, recovered and are actually ahead of where they were back in January. The Dow's up almost 5% from where it was a year ago. But the NASDAQ, as you say, the, this really was a year about a tech story. It's up uh, 37% at time of recording here relative to January. And that is indicative of how we have adapted to the pandemic, largely from a technology perspective, you know, video conferencing and all sorts of other communications. And then of course, there's the Tesla stock, which is up, it's like sixfold. six you fold. Know, it's uh, $86 in January. Today, it's uh, well over $600. So It's a remarkable story of transition. Many would argue that Tesla is not just an automotive company. I would argue the same. It's information technology, it's solar panels, batteries, you name it. It's really quite remarkable how how the markets have behaved. And uh, we'll see how it heads into the new year. But then there's the commodities.
1: Right. Now, the commodities are up from the depths of April and May of 2020, but still relative to where they were at the beginning of the year, things like crude oil price is still around 20% down. Equities associated with oil and gas, like major oil and gas producers, are still down in the range of 20 or 30%. Gas prices had some strength recently in the last week or two because of all the warm weather and concerns that that's going to continue. We've actually seen a bit of a fall in gas prices where they were expected to be quite high this winter.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Henry Hub natural gas price was over three bucks. What? six weeks ago. Yeah, Maryland, even, even for the
1: full year on the futures, it was uh, at that level and now it's falling back quite a bit. So, we'll see what happens with the weather. That's always the risk in predicting mm-hmm. gas prices is the it's weather still up on is- the
0: year. I mean, Henry Hub is up 20%. Yes,
1: yeah, two,
0: 250-ish it. eco. You know, the nice thing is is that the Canadian gas price is actually the differentials are fairly narrow.
1: Yes, and relative to what we've experienced, like from Uh 2017-18, we had some really difficult years. The prices are much more stable for gas producers in Western Canada.
0: One of the things to watch is our currency, in fact, uh, or actually watch the U.S. currency. The dollar has been depreciating relative to other currencies in the world, including Canadian. At the beginning of the year, it was 77 cents. We're well over 78 cents now, and that's after uh, a dip over the course of the middle of the year. So, strengthening dollar... Not so good for exporters. Pretty good if you're a vacationer, but there's not a lot of that going on right now.
1: <laughs> no, maybe it'll help us out next year, right. let's hope.
0: Yeah, and if you're an investor in Bitcoin, well, I don't pretend to understand that. It's up 150% over the course of the year, breaking through almost $20,000, whereas back in January it was 7500 So, Yeah, Bitcoin is hot again. I think it is important to watch in the new year in terms of uh, the banking industry being disrupted like so many other industries, whether it's retail or whether it's entertainment. I mean, media, it's it's just every industry is being disrupted by technology and uh, energy is no exception either. So Mm -hmm. we'll come more to that, but let's... um, I don't know, take us back to January.
1: January, different world. When we came out in January and talked about the future of the year, we obviously got it completely wrong. We were talking yep. about the geopolitical we tension. That mistake again. <laughs> raising. I went and looked at our write-up that was, you know, what to think about for the new mm-hmm. year. And the last line was, one thing that looks pretty certain is that this upcoming year, 2020, will be better than 2019. <laughs> so I guess we got that one wrong. Okay. But we did have some concerns around oil supply. We had the assassination of General Soleimani in Iran mm-hmm. on January 3rd. And that had come after, uh, remember the fall of 2019, we had that major ab cake. Facility in the Saudi Arabia get bombed and that took out over 5 million barrels a day of supply. So we were concerned about geopolitics and what that might do. Now, it didn't really move oil price at all because the world has this philosophy and market psychology that there's abundant supply out there and they're less concerned about these kind of things. But that was a real concern back in January. It
0: was the geopolitics of oil seemingly was back. Closer to home, we had the Trump impeachment trial began on the 20th of January. That was the actual trial after months of leading up to that. You know, it just seems almost uh, trivial compared to all the events that have transpired politically in the United States over the course of the year. But yeah, I just sort of lost perspective of time. That was actually almost exactly a year ago.
1: Right. And then also very important is the World Health Organization is notified of the novel coronavirus.
0: Yeah, of course. The the, the first words of coronavirus started coming out in January. It's being noted in China and Wuhan, and then uh, it started to move on. But the other economic news was the Brexit in January 31st. That was when the United Kingdom exited the European Economic Union and That was quite a momentous occasion back then.
1: Yeah, it was on the front page. It's been a footnote since then. But I did notice recently, because there is some concern about getting this trade deal with the EU hammered out by the Mm -hmm. end of the year, it's back in the newspapers again.
0: Hasn't uh, Some of these things just seem to drag on forever.
1: And the other big news in Canada at that time was these national pipeline and rail protests. You know, I had to go relook. Was that really just (laughs) in 2020? But that was a big deal, right? We originated with the opposition and support for the hereditary chiefs of the Wet'suwet'en people in British Columbia. And remember, they yeah. had those blockades of the rail lines across Canada. We had our whole rail system shut down for weeks. Oh wow, wow.
0: Yeah, I remember yeah. that. And I, I, I could barely remember that it was in January because, of course, the pandemic took over and really started to accelerate in the news flow in February. And that was after Trump was actually acquitted by the Senate on February 5th. And then the coronavirus starts spreading to Iran, to Italy. The world starts getting really nervous. I think we were starting to think about canceling business trips at that point. I know I did, thinking that uh, oh, hmm, we better let this thing play out.
1: Yeah, I think I was still on a business trip in February, and I still think there was really no recognition. Maybe Peter, you had a bit more, but that this was really going to spread. And it's funny now when I look back on it. I mean, it did shut down all of China. Why, mm-hmm. as it started to spread to other countries, a bit of denial that it was going to affect them to the same
0: extent. I think we'll have to yeah. go listen back, but I think in February we did say this is something to watch.
1: We did. We actually, I went and looked. We did write up uh, a write up even about the coronavirus and mm-hmm. how it was starting to infect oil and gas prices. And that, say, if it got worse, it mm-hmm. could really cause lower prices.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the other big thing in February was the acceleration of net zero discussions amongst the big multinationals led by BP.
1: Yes. And then you saw others like Shell have various times. I think Shell's was a little bit later in mm-hmm. April. But yeah, we've definitely had. A real step up in the level of commitment. And even in the midst of the darkest days of the coronavirus, back then in May, April, we had big companies sign up for even more ambitious targets at a time of great uncertainty.
0: Yeah, yeah. And of course, BP later on. Well, we'll talk about that when we get to some of the later months. But in March, Italy became the first country to implement a nationwide lockdown. There's all these images of hospitals around the world being cramped, you know, people on stretchers in the hallways and images of death and so on. It was really quite concerning. And that's when the lockdowns came rather abruptly, even here in Canada, Alberta. And the big news of the day was Zoom and video conferencing. And that became the new medium for interacting with each other.
1: Yeah. And not only for work, but with friends and families and I was just telling you, I went to a, an online charity event that was really well done, so it's really impacted every part of our lives. Oh, I think
0: it's it's a, it's a part of our lives now. The whole notion of virtualization is really with us where we virtualize ourselves and uh, meet digitally versus in person. It's, it's here today, and I think it's here to stay. To what extent, uh, we'll talk about in a few minutes as we think about what it's going to do to mobility. But the important thing in March was that the World Health Organization finally announced that it was a full-blown pandemic, not just a localized epidemic. And that happened on March 11th. And the first wave was then raging around the world. And all of a sudden, mobility was curtailed. We were asked to stay home. And I remember on odd occasion having to go for groceries and the, uh, the roads and the highways were just completely empty.
1: Yeah. And everything got canceled. You know, it's just day after day of, you know, things you thought yeah. would never get canceled, like major oh, professional yeah, yeah, sports and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of change very quickly. But people were really resilient. Like you say, they figured out the video conferencing, they figured out how to work differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that part, I think, surprised a lot of people how quickly they could change right. their lives.
0: And uh, the market reacted. You know, this is when the, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is one stock benchmark, fell 3,000 points, the worst since 1987, amongst the fears of what this was going to do to the world's economy. The low point for that market was Monday, March 23rd, when the Dow fell to 18,591. And today it is over 30,000. So you can see this is a massive (laughs) recovery. And the wild swings, not only in equities, but commodities. We'll come to that in a minute in April. But the whole thing was this whole global immobility, because it was really nothing like we had ever seen, certainly in my lifetime, where you would see people just stopping. Actually, the only other time I've seen global immobility was uh, vague recollections, the 1973 oil price shocks, where there was action and, and the oil embargo, and there was gasoline shortages. And uh, there are images from the 70s where the freeways and highways are just empty because there was no fuel. But Mm -hmm. this was big. Every major city, the indicators of traffic congestion were down by 80%. There was no such thing as traffic congestion back then. And uh, actually, major cities are now back above 50%, even with the second slash third wave of coronavirus. Cities like Beijing are actually even more congested now. Actually, I just looked yesterday. They're actually more congested now than they were pre-pandemic. Yeah.
1: I mean, they really got it under control. Their mm-hmm. economies are back to where they were, but we haven't in the West. In, no, in many but countries. I think this is
0: an indication of where we may be headed in 2021. But let's let's put that on pause in terms of mobility and behavioral change and so on and so forth. Because the rebound has been quite remarkable in places where the coronavirus has seemingly been tamed. April.
1: April, well, oil consumption really fell. At one point in one month, we were down to about 80 million barrels a day, so down 20%. And that created all sorts of problems in the supply chain because the refineries stopped processing as much crude, and that kind of backed up into the oil fields. And we saw Mm -hmm. these shut-ins in North America and throughout the world, and in the OPEC countries as well, where they chose to make voluntary cuts. But many parts of the world, they made economic cuts because they just literally could not make enough money producing their oil at the types of prices we were seeing at that yeah,
0: time. Yeah, it wasn't only traffic congestion that was down, air mobility. I mean, basically flights just shut down as country after country, shut their borders, very few flights were flying. The transportation security, the security gates in the United States, you know, the metal detectors, they publish their stats on a daily basis. And basically air travel was down by 90% back in March. Today, what what is it?
1: It's down about 60%.
0: Yeah, it's down about 60%. But again, we'll see what happens when we get some sense of normalcy going forward. uh, Well, that's a
1: good question. You know, there was an Wall Street Journal article out last week that said COVID could cut business travel by 36% permanently. So the big discussion around this travel Hmm. is, will this come back even when we have the vaccine and people have the mobility are they going to change their lifestyles after spending a year in a different way of living?
0: You know, it's interesting. I sort of reflect back ten years ago. I had this debate at a conference with a fellow from Boeing, and ten years ago, I wrote about this notion of virtualization. That time, Skype was a big thing, and whether or not Skype would reduce business travel, I wrote about it actually in my second book, End of Energy Obesity: the the virtualization and whether it would cut into business meetings and things like that. And the Boeing fellow disagreed with me, of course, because he makes airplanes. But his argument was that through Skype and virtualization that you would actually meet more people and have greater desire than, therefore, to go meet them in person. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about that ever since. And now, of course, thinking about it a lot in this era where we have Zoom and all sorts of other video conferencing things and thinking about where we're going to head back to. And I kind of think that he's right personally, because I'm finding that I'm meeting three times as many people in really? a day than I used to. New people? Well, sure, through. Oh, video, just in video, general interactions. Account. Yeah. And I, and I think that once we come back out of this thing, there is going to be a huge pent up desire to go meet people in person again. So I'm not completely convinced the Wall Street Journal article and their conjecture is right. I mean, I do understand that. Company CFOs are going to say, hey, you know what, you don't need to travel, you can just get on a Zoom call. But if you're on three times as many Zoom calls meeting three times as many people, I think there's going to be an impetus to want to go and meet at least two out of three of them.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, The one of the theories is that internal travel can really be cut, like training and all those sorts of things, which yeah. does represent a that fair amount. True. Yeah, but you know sales trips probably if you want to get business done you need to mm-hmm. know the people and have a relationship you might still see some of that right I think the big question for me is these conferences that is a place where people do meet a lot of new people because the one thing I'll say with zoom is you do interact with a lot of people but you don't meet as many new people imagine a conference how many people that you connect with that you wouldn't have met otherwise and sure. so I have a feeling the conferences will come back maybe not as many as we had before but I think the Zoom doesn't replace the conference.
0: I think there's a lot of, yeah, Zoom does not replace the conference and the, the the dinner and the socializing afterward. And I think there's a lot of pent-up demand. And I think that if we look at the mobility stats in places like China and how there's actually been a rebound to traffic congestion that's actually greater than it was this time last year before the pandemic, it suggests to me for a variety of reasons that, once the vaccines kick in and the pandemic is brought under control and travel comes back, we may actually momentarily see more than we had before. But well, for sure, on conjecture. the holidays and yeah. things,
1: I think there'll be some rebound mm-hmm. effect. All right, let's talk about another big thing that happened in April. For the first time, well, crude oil prices dropped. Oh, yeah. And for a moment, this WTI was negative $37 a barrel. Do you remember when you saw that, yeah. uh, what you what your reaction was? It, yeah,
0: well, I sort of reaction. okay, what does this basically a negative price means that uh, you're paying to take your oil away as yeah. a producer?
1: <laughs> well, when I saw it, I think when I first saw it, it was like, negative but not quite 37 and i'm like there must be an error like sweat starts rolling down my back Start (laughs) looking at other websites to see if there's like a error on the bloomberg site because you just never thought you could see something like that we talked
0: about it and we wrote about it i mean that you know when you have this kind of situation it doesn't have to go negative it can be really low and it was also not only in oil but in other commodities a supply chain backup and damage to supply chains And also all the financial interests that are along the supply chain. I mean, there's real fear there momentarily for serious financial damage to be done to the global capital markets.
1: Yeah. And these systems are so complicated. It's interesting. The regulator, CFTC, put out an interim report just last month talking about this. And it was kind of a disappointment because people wanted them to identify one reason the crash, right? And they didn't. They talked about it's very complex Mm -hmm. and that there's so many layers of different traders and there's companies that are trading for speculative reasons, others that are more physically trading, there's physical constraints. It's just a very complex system. So it doesn't surprise me you don't find one smoking gun um, that was behind something like this. I think there is going to be more work done on that um, to better understand what happened. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I mean, we didn't thankfully see any sort of collapse in any of the supply chains, But it was a scary time. I I think April was a scary time. And I think May was a scary time too. But it was an unsettling month with the George Floyd killing, Black Lives Matter protests around the world. I mean, I think it just, for me, was just a a real period of anxiety and unsettling times all around. And I I think that um, with respect to Black Lives Matter and the social side of things, really amplified in my mind that the social issues are going to become much more of a factor when we think about energy going forward, about any issue.
1: Yeah, and and every company has to think a little beyond profit. And that message had been coming out from institutional investors before, but I think it highlighted the risks associated with Mm -hmm. not thinking about the broader social good.
0: The broader social good, the diversity issues and so on. It's, uh, you know, however it makes you feel, I think the reality is that these are now, Factors that are going to have a lot more influence in big decision making, whether the decision making is investment or even what kind of infrastructure we developed.
1: You're already seeing an increasing interest by institutional investors Mm -hmm. in diversity. There was already a lot of interest in gender diversity, but I think that's even amped up more, as well as the concerns around minorities and starting to measure that. And I've seen a change just even in the last few months in terms of more being written and more concerns being raised around those issues.
0: Yeah. In May, though, by the end of May and into early June, we started to get a sense that uh, the restrictions were going to be eased. There was some feeling of hope as we entered into the summer. Oil prices crossed over $40 for the first time since the pandemic. Actually, that was in June.
1: Yeah, things started to get better. The summer approached. Big difference for some of those restrictions to be Mm -hmm. released. And I think what we're seeing now in society is people don't want to go back to that, even though the numbers are getting worse and worse, because uh, that was such a a difficult period for everyone.
0: It was a difficult period. And uh, pretty much every social event Inside or outside of any any size was cancelled and our own Calgary Stampede was cancelled for the first time in over a hundred years. And yep. uh, we'll see if it'll be back in 2021. Hopefully, we will be vaccinated to the point where we will be able to have a stampede. But I don't know. I think uh, 2021, it's going to be a gradual recovery in terms yeah. of these sorts of functions.
1: Yeah, I really hope there is one, but uh, I can definitely see a scenario where not enough people are vaccinated. I mean, you can't get big groups of people out until there's a lot of vaccination, I would think. No,
0: and then you've got to ease travel restrictions. People have to get their mindset back into travel. And uh, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while, I think, before we see normalcy in all these big types of social slash cultural events.
1: Let's move on to August. Okay. Still the summer. And there were all these deadly wildfires in California yeah. to Washington State, and uh, lots of pictures of millions of acres of trees burning and, we and people the smoke, being displaced. Drift
0: all the way up here, yeah, for a couple of weeks, yeah. So I mean, it was a reminder about the issue of climate change. Came back as we were sort of eased a little bit from pandemic restrictions. The narrative did shift much more towards net zero, and that whole dialogue again started to ramp up. The clean fuel standard, which we've discussed extensively in the past, starts ramping up again. And also, given that mobility was still highly restricted, oil consumption was still well below 100 million barrels a day. I don't know, it was sort of like 94, 95 million barrels a day that there was lots of talk about the end of oil, peak oil demand and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and a growing conviction that the world is going towards that more sustainable scenario, mm-hmm. moving towards a two degree C type scenario or or net zero 2050, even more aggressive. It reminded me of the podcast we had the next month with Fatih Birol mm-hmm. from the IEA, and he talked about the fact he was more optimistic that the world was heading down that path. And he had various reasons for it. He talked about the fact that there was more funding coming into new energy, there were lower interest rates, and you can go re-listen to the podcast to hear all of his logic, but that's a real change in the narrative. Most analysts and agencies were always warning that it was very, very difficult to meet that scenario, and so there has been a real mindset shift.
0: There has been a mindset shift, but with respect to the end of oil, I mean, I go back to what's happening in some of these Asian cities right now, because I went back and, as I said, looked at the traffic congestion and what's going on. And I think there's going to be a rebound. So we're still far from the end of oil, in my opinion. I mean, the, the pent-up desire for mobility, I think, in the near term is going to see oil consumption probably rebound. And the notion of peak oil demand is probably still a few years out. September, the shoulder month, Kids were going back to school, although somewhat hesitantly, I still think there was a lot of unknowns in terms of what various jurisdictions wanted to do with the education system at a time when the coronavirus numbers were starting to rise again. But the kids did go back to school and the numbers did start rising again.
1: And in October, we had uh, Trudeau minority government survived a confidence vote. So, you know, we'd talked about the fact that minorities typically don't last much longer than two years, uh, and there's usually some sort of confidence vote. And mm-hmm. uh, this was the first test of the Trudeau minority, and but they did survive it. And they had the support of the NDP to enable them to survive that.
0: We'll see what happens in the new year, but still a minority government.
1: The interesting thing is the uh, the NDP or the bloc could continue. I think probably more the NDP will continue to support them, depending on the policy. If they do, they could stay in for a long time. As we just saw in BC, they had a minority government that had a lot of longevity. Do you think we're going to have an election this spring, Peter?
0: I don't think so. But, you know, I've stopped trying to predict politics. I think it's uh, even more difficult than trying to predict the price of commodities. (laughs) So I don't know. But my gut feel tells me now, I think that uh, I think there's a lot of uncertainty still to come this spring. And when there's uncertainty, I don't think that people want to deviate too far off the stability that there is in place.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the or other even thing even that would be fragile. going on is hopefully we would be having vaccines rolling out through Canada. Yeah. And um not, not sure that would be the best timing.
0: Yeah, but the big news in October was the Synovus Energy news that they agreed to acquire the rival producer husky
1: yeah we had a podcast on october 27th called consolidation gains momentum in canada's oil patch and we talked about the fact that you know the companies really need to find a way to generate more cash flow at these lower commodity prices and and consolidation is a way to free up some cash flow lower their costs and become Mm -hmm. more efficient
0: Mm mm-hmm you know, another thing that happened in the 2020s I noticed in terms of the news flow ramping up was fusion energy. And that was highlighted actually in October with the massed mega-amp spherical tokamak fusion reactor being switched on in the UK. Wow, say that uh, twice. Yeah, say that <laughs> twice, exactly. But, you know, these are amongst the several of fusion experiments that are starting to come to the fore And I think you're going to hear quite a bit more talk about fusion in the next couple of years. I think it could potentially be a sleeper energy story for the decade. You know, there's so much talk about renewables and, of course, the small modular nuclear reactors, which are fission based and all the rest. But I don't know. I think uh, I'm not going to say it's going to be commercialized overnight, but I think you're going to be hearing a lot more about it. I think there's going to be a lot more interesting news to come over the next couple of years.
1: Well, it's been on the cusp for decades. I know yeah. you've been following it all along, yeah. but it, yeah. it, it would be a real game changer if we could find a yeah. way to make this work.
0: Yeah, I mean, the joke has always been fusion energy is a couple of decades away. You know, it's been like that for many, many decades, but I actually think it's getting closer if you follow the news flow.
1: Okay, well, we'll be looking for updates mm-hmm. on that in the new year. All right, November, uh, some big news around pipelines. Obviously, we had the U.S. electing Joe Biden as a president, and here in Canada, that gave us some concerns around the future of the Keystone XL pipeline, but we had some good news on other pipelines, like the regulators approving the final permit for this Enbridge Line 3, and that, in addition to other minor expansions on existing pipelines and a new crude-by-rail facility, you know, we continue to increase the takeaway capacity from Western about?
0: Two hundred and fifty three. It'll add thousand about two hundred
1: and seventy thousand of incremental capacity. Already it, it added more altogether, but the some of the Canadian side improvements have already been put into mm-hmm. operation. So it's good. When you think about like how much rail we had at our peak, it was around four hundred thousand barrels a day of rail. So it's mm-hmm. basically replacing a lot of the rail that was needed last year. Right. When Canada was producing pre-COVID.
0: Yeah. So in November. Much like the beginning of the year, there was another assassination in Iran, this time the nuclear scientist Mohsen Fakhrizadeh. And, you know, I think that that was quite timed with the Biden election. A lot of people say it was because there isn't a lot of appetite to want to go back into nuclear negotiations by several countries in the world, including Israel. And so we'll see what happens. The Iranian parliament voted to start refining more fuel for weapons. And to me, it seems like getting to any sort of deal to ease the sanctions is now even more distant than it was before.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to say, right, like yeah. what priority this will be, and the Iranian situation isn't the same as it was many years ago when they made that initial deal. It's gotten a lot worse, so that yeah. I would agree that makes the chances smaller, potentially. So the yeah.
0: sanctions will likely prevail, and that'll probably keep bottled up how much oil?
1: It's around 2 million barrels a day that is... Uh, bottled up and not being produced because of these sanctions. Mm-hmm. So that's really significant. You know, if we add that to the world's supply, that that's gonna create an even bigger glut than we're already living with. Yeah. Now the biggest news in November obviously was these vaccines. Yeah. That was really. the biggest news of the year potentially. That's maybe the news story of the year. New
0: story of the century. I think, yeah, the the vaccines, the Pfizer, the Moderna, there's other ones that are in the pipe that are coming. It's good news that People will start to get vaccinated, especially in care homes, frontline workers, and give people hope in the broader population that we can put the scourge behind us and carry on to a better 2021 than 2020. Let's
1: talk about December. We're just taping this sort of in the early part of December, but OPEC has agreed to make an adjustment to their output. You know, we did miss one of the big news stories of the year was the price war, and the decision in mm. May for OPEC to restrain we their production one, again. Yeah. You know, it continues to be something that makes everyone nervous because we know yeah. now that we don't, we're we not quite sure we can trust OPEC to manage the market because they did create the price war at the worst possible time. Now we're seeing some friction in the group and some movement to try to increase their production at a time when the market is still pretty fragile.
0: Yeah, it really is still fragile, but the indicators seem to be positive. The price of oil does seem to want to push a little bit higher, as we've talked about on previous podcasts. So we'll see how it interprets the news as we head into the new year, as it takes stock of how fast we get back to normal, how economic activity potentially starts picking up again in some of the Western countries. I know in places like China, it's uh, picked up fairly dramatically already. And so we'll see if those sorts of dynamics will follow in Europe and North America and other key economies around the world. And that will really dictate the pull on energy, especially oil, and mm-hmm. as it relates to mobility.
1: Yeah, and if that demand comes back, a lot of that friction goes away because mm-hmm. suddenly no one's sitting on so much spare capacity. Well, to wrap up this podcast, it has obviously been quite the year. There are early signposts, as you say, things can get better. The vaccine, the potential for energy demand to come back. And uh, you we know, it's been a a roller coaster of a year. We yeah. really appreciate our listeners
0: it's been uh, hearing coaster. our views throughout the year. Yeah. But I'm going to double down. We said 2020 was going to be better than 2019. <laughs> and I'll say 2021 is going to be better than 2020.
1: Yeah, I think the probability is in your favor. I <laughs> certainly hope you're right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I certainly hope too. But I think that's an opportunity to say to everyone, thank you for listening to our podcasts. Happy holidays. Take care, stay safe with your loved ones and uh, a very happy new year as we look forward to a better 2021.
1: Yes, I echo that. So thank you everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on the app that you listen to and tell someone else about us. For more ideas and insights, visit arcenergyinstitute.com.